the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've got a lot to cover today. Let's get right to it. In a few moments, we will have our friend Dr. Brett Decker with us. And also, a little bit later, we'll talk with Carol Markowitz. Carol Markowitz is uh, a great writer and a nice, very serious thinker. And she's really great to talk to on the radio. She writes over at the New York Post, among other places, and uh, and lives in, and works in New York City. And she's born in Russia and born in the Soviet Union. Under, under Soviet communism has a great perspective on a lot of things. So we will talk with her in a few moments. But first, what you need to know, what you need to know today, it's pretty easy. It's pretty big. It's important. And what I want to tell you is make sure go to, make sure to go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and make sure you're signed up for the Daily Wink. You'll get an email that gives you all you need to know, what you need to know, and some links and some stories and things, and you want to be over there. All right. Today, what I want to cover, Mike Cernovich uh, tweeted about this perfectly, uh, as Cernovich usually does. Cernovich has a way with uh, words, pithiness, and, uh, and uh, has a a vision on things. And in this case, what he tweeted about was the article in um, Politico that talks about how the quote unquote insurrectionists uh, from January 6th, the article in Politico says most of the Capitol rioters are unlikely to serve jail time. And Cernovich wrote greatest abuse of government power in our lifetimes. Now, it is really true. And what I want to tell you right now is the narrative machine is falling apart on this issue, but it doesn't matter. And here's what I mean by that. The narrative machine uh, went ahead and framed up what happened in the uh, in the with the Capitol uh, with January 6th. Right. The, the narrative machine, big tech, big media and big government went about laying out the 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 uh, narrative that this was an insurrectionist, a seditious remember, ultra violent, murderous really is what they said, uh, attempt to overtake the government. And it was almost none of that. It was a protest, a pretty big one, with some people that um, got a little out of hand. Uh, but most of what was out of hand was the coverage of it. But that's what the narrative machine did. And so by the time you were done, if you had been at January 6th, and I was there, I was at the speech by President Trump, and then I was also uh, walked up to the Capitol. But if you were in any of those places, you're supposed to be terrified. You're supposed to say you weren't there. You're supposed to deny it. You're supposed to make sure that you feel terrible about what happened because it was an insurrectionist uh, coup, right? It was an insurrectionist uh, attempt to overtake the government, all that stuff. Now, it was very effective, And when Cernovich says it's the biggest abuse of our lifetimes by government, what he means was the narrative machine, big tech, big media, and then big government, the use of the, um, excuse me, the um, uh, uh, putting up razor wire and lying about what happened to that poor police officer who died. He didn't get hit by a fire extinguisher. He died from some kind of reaction. All that stuff that happened, it was all an abuse of power. And then they went about arresting people, breaking in, you know, knocking down doors to arrest people for a trespass effect. 
effectively and making it sound like they were rounding up this seditious conspiracy. And it was very, very effective. And now it's all falling apart. People like Julie Kelly at American Greatness, for one, Tucker Carlson covering some of her reporting, uh, Julie Kelly's reporting, and others have broken down how this whole thing was way, way, way less of anything than they told us. But here's the dirty trick. Does anybody know? It's like the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. The narrative machine, big tech, big media, and government. In this case, it wasn't big government. It was Mueller. So it was the Mueller report and all. Big tech, big government said Russia, Russia, Russia. By the time you're done, half the country believes that Russia was involved in the 2016 election in a big way. That never happened. Same thing with the Charlottesville hoax, the fine people, that's the so-called fine people hoax, on and on and on. In this case, what happened with January 6th, it doesn't matter what the truth is now. You see, that's the really rotten thing about this, is on the other side of these uh, narratives, when the narrative machine grinds out something, they don't actually care when the truth comes out. It actually doesn't matter, because by the time the truth is out, it's two and a half months later, just about, right? I guess January 6th, February, March. So two and a half, yeah, almost three months later. And there's no unringing the bell. It's like it's like the um, it's like uh, when someone says, um, you know, where do I go to get my uh, remember the famous, famous story? Where do I go? It was actually uh, the labor secretary under Reagan uh, was his name was Donovan. I know this because he was uh, from New Jersey. And I remember reading about it at the time. And, and, and later, Raymond Donovan, his name was Raymond Donovan. Uh, and when he was put in through the ringer. He was born in Bayonne, New Jersey. And when he was put through the ringer, he was at the very end, he got out of court and he was found innocent of some sort of mob related charges or something. And he got out of the and he, he said, where um, where do I go? Which office? So he said, here's the quote, exact quote. On May 25th, 1987, Ray Donovan and all the other defendants were acquitted, after which Donovan was famously quoted as asking, quote, which office do I go to to get my reputation back? There it is. That's what happens. In other words, there's no place to go. It's over. In the case of the January 6th, it's over. In history, people will be talking about it as if it was seditious, insurrection, armed armed rebellion, all that stuff. And it wasn't. And the coverage now, Politico is even admitting it. It says the cases could embarrass the Biden administration, which has portrayed the January 6th siege as a dire threat to democracy. This is what the actual Politico is saying. In other words, there was nothing there. And when they're done, it here's by back, I'm saying it again, it just doesn't matter because the country will have been sort of instructed to believe and then had the message, you know, burned into our minds and our hearts. And you'll never unring that bell. You'll never know which office to go to to get back your reputation, as, as Ray Donovan said. And the impact of it will be horrendous. It is horrendous. It's a, it's really a terrible, terrible thing to have happen to uh to america and to the american people and what i what i wonder is in the modern era is there a way that you know half the country comes to believe the truth the other half says i never believe the truth in other words half the country is going to come away and say january 6th was a disaster you know an insurrection the other half is going to know the truth are we just stuck with the halves you know the 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 country divided like that and i really it's a third a third a third i'd say a third is brainwashed to believe it's an insurrection a third believes it was nothing and the other third in the middle doesn't know what to believe but actually i think that the third in the middle is is generally more persuaded by the power of the narrative machine so it's not really fair it's probably two Two thirds believe, you know, the insurrection and one third say, no, that didn't happen. 
It's a terrible, terrible, it's a terrible thing to have. It's a terrible thing to be living with this set of facts that, that, that the narrative machine is going to dominate us so much. And, and here's the last thing I'll say about it. Cernovich is right. It is one of the greatest abuses in our lifetime, our lifetimes, that they just did. And why? Because what was at stake was the American people more and more were demanding that they find out why the November 2020 election seemed off. And the January 6th events were used as an excuse and weaponized to freeze the American people from looking at November 2020. And it worked. And it worked. That's what happened. Will we ever get to the bottom of it? I don't know. We'll see. I have something to say about it. We'll see if we what happens. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk with uh, our old friend, Dr. Brett Decker, and then Carol uh, Markowitz about what's happening in New York. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, checking in with Dr. Brett M. Decker, university professor out in Defi- at Defiance College, uh, and also, of course, a New York Times bestselling author, former journalist. Uh, let me talk, though, uh, for a second. I don't really know my geography that well. Um, so what is going on with the uh, Suez Canal being blocked by some big ship? You got any thoughts on that? And how, how, can, how can we not be able to... Uh, to unstick a, a, a giant ship. It seems unbelievable to me. Uh, you know, nothing in the world works anymore, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, we're trying to divvy up jobs based on race, gender, whatever. How about giving an engineering job to a guy that knows how to run? You know, somebody running a boat needs to, like, be know how to be a captain <laughs> of a ship. So, and then somebody who's an engineer needs to know how to get it unstuck, but... You know, it, it's super, right? The cost of this, billions and billions of dollars of trade um, not getting delivered because you have one of the main arteries of shipping, of transportation, blocked up. And I think other than, like, how can you, how does it happen and how do you not undo this, is it means there's an awful lot of pressure on the other chokeholds on uh, tr- on, on shipping in the, in the world. So, you know, you have the Panama Canal. What if something happens there? And in the Malacca Strait, it's actually the busiest uh, shipping channel in the world out by Malaysia in the South China Sea. Every once in a while, it gets blocked because of something. A a ship rams another ship or something. Well, it shows how vulnerable the world is. If you you have a log jam in two of these shipping lanes, I mean, not only do we go into recession, you're in, like, depression era, you know, depression situation. If the world can't trade. So it also gives, you know... It kind of tells the bad guys, terrorists or the Chinese or whatever, look how much you can mess with the world economy. You don't you don't have to attack any countries. You just you know block a couple shipping lanes with uh, a shipping uh, you know a ship a container ship the size of the Empire State Building, and that's all you need to do, right? And China has lots of of uh, container ships. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker. Yeah, I think that's right. The funniest thing you said is that things don't seem to work anymore. I mean, and, and it, it does feel like that. And maybe it's just the media isn't going to cover uh, anything that works well. It's just going to cover all the things that don't. But it is kind of uh, does make you smile. I mean, right at right right when you you, know, you, you nothing seems. To be. Congress can't do anything right. The border isn't right. The government isn't right. The healthcare isn't right. Post office Fauci is says broken. This, 
Yeah, Fauci, Fauci says now, Fauci, what did Fauci say in the last couple of days? Got another one that uh, someone told me today that you're supposed to, I don't know, do something or other. So um, but let me turn then to media. And again, we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author. He was the editorial page editor at the Washington Times and also a reporter for the Wall Street Journal out in the Far East. Um, the reports this last week, all of the cable news networks have lost dramatically. I mean, you know, 20 percent of the sh- of their of their of their audience, uh, 50, even Tucker Carlson is down two or three percent, even a very popular um, they just missed Trump, right? I mean, Trump was at least entertaining. And I guess the, the Biden administration's plan is keep it um, boring and just transform the country through uh, executive order and through, you know, all this uh, nonsense they're doing. So, I, but what's the future of the media? I mean, you know, it, without Trump, the media looks like it's dying. I mean, the great news, right, is the New York Times, nobody is resubscribing because you know, everybody, all these liberals were so worked up over Trump, they would send New York Times $100, uh, you know, a quarter or whatever to get an electronic version just so they could get worked up into a frenzy about how much they hate Trump, right? So with Trump gone, there's no reason to uh, send any money to the old gray lady, you know? So, uh, you know, the media is in a lot of trouble. And, and you know, Trump kind of has joked about this before is how much they need him. And it's sort of like, well, you deserve what you get. You're in for this electoral fix. You know, you were creating scandals that didn't exist. So, um, you know, take, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it or whatever, whatever those people are. I think they, they, what is it? They vape or something. But um, but what about, um, l- let me ask you this about, I, I'm being serious. I just put something out earlier on uh, Monday that I think it's time for uh, Donald Trump to run, announce that he's running for Speaker of the House. And, and the reason to do this is that in 2022, the number one thing is turnout. And most Trump voters don't care about other any other Republican other than Trump. So he's got to get him out. So he should just announce, I want everybody to vote Republican so that I can become speaker. And I'm just not joking. I think I think he could be speaker. Why not? Um, well, you know, I, maybe. But, I, you know, <laughs> given how little patience he had for some of the mechanics of the office <laughs> in the White House, I, you know, you would really need the majority leader of the House to be very hands-on if uh, the Trumpster was Speaker. You know, well, the one uh, thing, you know, if if people are charging the Capitol, he's probably going to call for reinforcements, unlike Pelosi. <laughs> well, I'm saying that I just want the image of President Kamala Harris standing, given the State of the Union, with Donald Trump sitting behind her. Can you imagine tearing I mean, up her I mean, speech like? A- <laughs> I mean, I but actually, I would imagine I, the faces I, he would make, you know, yeah, exactly. But I'm actually being serious on this. I think there's a chunk of the voters, you know, the the, the uh, 74 million uh, club that I tell people, 74 million or whatever number. I think there's 10 or 20 percent that after Trump uh, lost in 2020, they are not going to come out and vote for other Republicans, no matter who they are. They just don't believe in it. So I actually think it's a bit of a problem that Republicans may not see coming, uh, you know, because a lot of Trump voters were not traditional Republican voters and they're not coming around for some typical, you know, uh, off-year election jive about uh, making government work better. They're going to say, no, you guys are all swamp creatures. We don't care. That's my fear. Uh, You know, I agree. And I think maybe it's just they don't, it's not just that people don't want to vote for Republicans anymore. Maybe they don't want to vote anymore. (laughs) Maybe Trump should run, maybe Trump should run for king. (laughs) Well, that's true. I mean, I I do think that's another thing. Turned it down. Maybe it's Trump's turn. Well, I do think that is. I think that's really true, though. I mean, I I believe that um, 
I believe people don't quite understand the problem of the elections and the election uh, fraud. All right, a different question now. You've watched a lot of um, public figures. I want your opinion on Mike Lindell because he's obviously a master salesman. But now he's yeah. in this big, huge fight with Dominion in in the federal courts over they sued him and all. I mean, is this guy? Uh, what, what what's your reaction to him? I mean, he seems like he seems like a quintessential American in in the sense that he's got the American dream and he's a communicator. And he's fearless. What's your impression? Uh, you know, I mean, he has a compelling story, right? He was homeless and and an addict and. He beat all that to, to be an entrepreneur and, a, and a, you know, inventor and made all this money, one of the largest growing businesses uh, in the country. And, I, you know, I think he's one of these people who wasn't that involved in, in politics, liked what Trump was saying, especially about, right, my pillow, all that stuff made in Minnesota, made in the United States. And I think, right, Trump brought a lot of people in. It kind of had written off politics. And then when they see what happens, they – they kind of go crazy. And I think, I think that's what happened to him in this case, but like crazy because he's like, we're trying to stand up for America and uh, you know, all the subterfuge is, is undermining the process. So I, you know, I think he just kind of got caught up in the moment. And I think like Trump, he's like, you know, it's now or never you defend America now. And if you don't, it might be gone, you know? And I think that's what's, what's motivating him. I think he's an, an interesting person. Yeah, uh, we're talking with, uh, again, Dr. Brett M. Decker and uh, New York Times bestselling author. Um, one more question on the economy. Um, gas prices are going up, 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 but it doesn't seem to be dragging the economy down. It seems like uh, the market's steady. Consumer confidence is OK. I mean, are we just and, and you know, more and more you hear about Europe uh, struggling and uh, China investing in America like the Japanese did in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, they want to get their money out of China and put it in America. I mean, is our economy stronger than we, you know, than we realize? Are we, are we safe from high energy costs for a while? Well, I think there's some irrational exuberance from, you know, this idea of maybe the vaccines are working and people getting back to normal, which, by the way, it's not clear we're going to get back to normal yet or not. But one thing is if we if we have shipping channels like the Suez Canal locked up, uh, that that hurts things like uh, distribution of fuel. So, you know, mm-hmm. the longer that goes on, that'll affect fuel prices eventually. But eventually energy costs hurt the economy if they're, if they're rising. And I think I think right now, you know, right now, everyone's trying to look on the upside of everything because they want to help Sleepy Joe, you know, President Biden out. And, and I think that carries over for a little while, but eventually it catches up. I, the fundamentals, you know, new home construction, industrial investment, um, you know, new hiring, a lot of that stuff's all down still. And that usually is what has an effect on, on the economy in sort of a macro way. And, and eventually that'll hit home. Yep. All right. Dr. Brett M. Decker, thank you as always. Uh, best wishes for this uh, Easter season. Thank you again, sir. Yeah. Happy Easter. All right, Dr. Brett M. Decker, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our friend, Carol Markowitz. She's been on a number of times. She writes all over the place, and her Twitter feed is very valuable. Columnist at the New York Post uh, also contributes over at the Spectator and DC Examiner uh, magazine, and at Carol, K-A-R-O-L, on Twitter, which is extraordinary. I always tell her, and she always smiles. Also, if you go to her Twitter feed, you can sign you can sign up for her uh, newsletter. She calls it an occasional newsletter. It doesn't come enough, for my mind, because we need her to send every time she writes somewhere, but Welcome, Carol, to the program. How are you today? Thank you, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me this. Um, how's New York? New York. Um, it's, you know, it's in trouble. And I don't know uh, how that's going to end for us. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure how this proceeds. I, You know, if you talked to me a year ago, I'm the biggest New York defender. I know a lot of conservatives aren't. And I know I know I knew where I was living. But it's it's a really hard time to be a New York defender and to believe in the future of New York when our bungling leadership um, is as bad as it is. Right, right. It is. Um, it's amazing to watch. All right, now I wanted to ask you earlier today. I noticed that you saw, you announced that you're going to serve on the board of directors of an organization, a uh, new organization called Parents Defending Education. So first, tell me about that at Defending Ed, uh, which is really nice of you to defend yeah. Ed at Defending Ed on Twitter. But tell me about the organization. Tell me about what you're hoping it will accomplish and where it's going. I think it's yeah. such an important issue right now to give parents a place to focus because we're all thinking it's going to get better, and it seems to only in fits. Mm-hmm. And start. So tell me about this organization, please. Yeah. So the organization is going to defend our schools against the scourge of wokeism, which is, um, you know, manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But for example, uh, the very first thing that the organization is getting involved in, in New York City, um, a group of activist kids are suing the city uh, to say that the, that the lack of diversity at some of the best schools means that um, these schools are inherently racist and they should be uh, shut down or they're no longer allowed to um, request test scores or, or grades or anything like that in order to apply because that's all racist. So the problem with that lawsuit is, do we really count on the administration of, you know, the Marxist Bill de Blasio to defend uh, New York City schools against this lawsuit? No, we really don't. We think that that, that New York City is going to roll over for these activists and let them win. Um, So this organization is stepping into this lawsuit on the side of merit and on the side of uh, rigorous education and saying this is not racist asking for grades asking for test scores asking for attendance scores none of this is racist has nothing to do with race um and so they'll be the the voice in the courtroom arguing on that side yeah, it's interesting. Again, we're talking with uh, with Carol Markowitz and um, we're talking about the new organization, new organization, Parents Defending Education at Defending Ed on Twitter. But um, two, two observations, uh, Carol, two things to tell you. One is I live over in Fairfax County in Virginia, and there's a really, really fine school there, uh, Thomas Jefferson School, and they're preparing to do the same thing. Their people are going to sue and say there's too many Asian kids in there. It's not representative of the community. Therefore, break mm-hmm. up uh, TJ, it's called. But here's one thing I ju- you just said, and I want to bring this out. What people don't realize that happened and I have talked about it but not as much in the election in 2020 
was there was lots of lawsuits and it was set up as I, I always use the phrase kabuki theater, but it was a Democrat suing a Democrat clerk. And then there was mm-hmm. Democrat leaning judges. And so they all came to an agreement. They said, oh, well, I'm being sued and I'm the county clerk in Montgomery County. Therefore, here's what we'll do. We'll waive signature requirements. And when the Republicans jumped in, usually too late and to, to your credit on this organization, you're saying we're going to look to get in early. When you jump in later, mm-hmm. the system sort of works against you because a lot of judges on appeal say, well, it was there was a chance for people to intervene or not, and they didn't, and then we go on. So I think you're exactly right, right on that, that we've been the system's been used against us by the left who cherry picks those fights. So I think it's um I think it's really a, a smart move. Now, Carol, what's the reality though of these schools? Um I mean, it's almost like we're fighting to defend our public schools when the public schools are almost entirely broken. Like the, the teachers unions yeah. are so dominant that you can't really I don't know. Can you defend the almost yeah. uh, un- unredeemable? Well, I would say that conservatives have such an opening right now, um, especially in these blue areas where school has basically ceased to exist. And I think I, I, I would like to see more from con- the conservative movement um, in in talking to people about school choice in talking to them about the dangers of the very powerful teachers union and in, in showing them what kind of education that their kids are going to be getting if their schools ever open again. I think a lot of this stuff um, that we're so used to being left and right is really not that left and right. I think some of the like best activists that I've spoken to on opening schools, for example, in New York City, are natural liberals. They always voted for Democrats, and their whole world is kind of turned upside down right now where they see that the teachers' union has caused their kids not to go to school. And it's it, it's been jarring to them, but they've really ended up on the right side of this. And there's such an opportunity right now for conservatives and for the Republican Party to actually get these people on our side and to you know, vote a different way in the future and to really see what's, what's happening here with the schools. Yeah, we're talking again with uh, Carol Markowitz and her, one of her recent pieces, uh, it, it was a few weeks ago now, but it's rehashed and retweeted and all because it's perfect for now, um, is uh, the title was Get Dr. Fauci Off TV. Yeah. And here's my thing on this. At this point, you know, I think earlier today, Steve uh, Deese, his book on uh, the Faucian bargain went to number one in Amazon or something. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I think people see through it. But here's the thing. Um, whatever the reason Dr. Fauci is not credible. I mean, he's not a credible, he's not someone who can be trusted right. for people. Again, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be fair or not fair. It's just descriptive. And yet he keeps being put out there. And I guess I, are you seeing that you wrote this piece, get Dr. Fauci off TV almost, uh, three and a half weeks ago? It, yeah. It's getting worse, not better, Carol. Right. And, you know, and the thing is, what I say to people who like Fauci or trust Fauci and say, like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I think he did a good job and whatever. Like, oh, we don't even need to argue about that. Let's just focus on the fact that he is an extremely poor communicator, extremely bad at getting the message across about what needs to happen. Um, he literally cannot communicate with the American people in a positive way on television. Even if you loved out Dr. Fauci and want, want to follow his directions, I don't even know what those directions are because it's so complicated to listen to him. And and the truth is, it also applies to CDC Director Walensky. Yesterday, she said that she's terrified because the spikes and how bad things are getting. And she's very, you know, she's 
she, she literally said she's terrified. Today, she said, we're almost at the end of this crisis. Like, which is it? And I think sending right. that kind of mixed messaging, I think we're seeing the results of that in people not wanting to get vaccinated, for example. If you tell people, as Dr. Fauci has, that they're going to have to keep wearing a mask and social distancing for years after getting vaccinated, who's in a hurry to go get vaccinated? And how is this a positive development um, from, you know, for our people? It, it just, it, it, again, I think it's like, uh, it, it traditionally would be a left versus right thing, but this is, we're in a place where like, we need to focus on like sanity versus insanity. And insanity <laughs> is to continue having him on TV where he makes no sense and, and really is not good at communicating with the American people. We're talking again with uh, Carol Markowitz at, Car- at Carol, K-A-R-O-L on uh, Twitter and all over the place. She writes in New York Post and other places. Uh, Carol, about, but to hone in on that, and you've written about um, mm-hmm. your own uh, life, your own experience, your own perspective and history. Um, but at a certain point, the fear, the generation, the generating of fear in people, you, you can't just call it incidental anymore. I mean, you, you don't have to say yeah. it's a grand conspiracy where they gather in one room and say, let's um, right. let's make everybody crazy so we can do it. But at a certain point, it's kind of like the general incompetence directionally towards fear monger, fear, fear generation is it's it's so significant. Right. I mean, it's it's now yeah. like, what, what, is it cultural? It's, it's at the, the end. The pandemic is fear generation right now. Absolutely. You know, so I was born in the Soviet Union. I think that's what you were alluding to. I um, have for my whole life heard people compare different things in America to the Soviet Union. Like, oh, this is Soviet. This is Soviet. And I would always be like, no, it it really isn't. It really isn't. Like, it's a a different situation. Um, But there's so many things about this moment right now that actually does feel very Soviet to me. I mean, the vaccine passport stuff, I can't wait to get my vaccine. I am so I'm, I'm I've been waiting for it. I've been refreshing, and I, I can't. I can't wait. Um, but do I think right. it's normal to to have a vaccine passport, which we have to show to do certain things? Like absolutely not. I mean, we, you know, so much about uh, um, about being an American is treasuring our privacy and our independence and our liberty. And I, I see all of that being stripped away in the name of safety, which. I, I don't even see what the safety argument is here. It's, this isn't um, measles where some you know young people might not be able to get the vaccine yet, and that's why we need to protect them. This is something that it really makes no sense. Like if you get vaccinated, you don't have to worry about getting it. And so, what do you care if other people are not vaccinated? So right, I, I see right. a lot of Soviet um, just threads through society right now the way we cancel things the way yesterday i saw um one of my friends posted a children's book and i was like oh what happened with this book he's like oh canceled you know pulled off of amazon not available on ebay like gone um and not not dr seuss a new book um called <laughs> right, right. that my 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 seven-year-old son loved um and you know now it turns out that book is racist and now it, not only that but it's been disappeared from the internet that's it it's gone it's it never existed and it's very Soviet to me. It is amazing. But this is Carol Markowitz. Uh, she writes all, all over the place. New York Post, especially Spectator, uh, DC Examiner, even Newsweek, the one I just cited. I'll put it all up on social media. In fact, I, I, Carol, I think I emailed you to talk about uh, Andrew Cuomo and everything. We ran out of time. So thank you, as, as always, for your perspective on <laughs> both you. New York and Dr. Fauci. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Carol. Thanks so much, Ed. Thanks. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. 
Today is Cesar Chavez Day, the anniversary of his birthday. You may not know who he is, but nine states recognize March 31st as an official holiday called Cesar Chavez Day. Arizona, California, Colorado, Illinois, Michigan, New Mexico, Texas, Utah, and Wisconsin. The National Education Association passes a resolution nearly every year calling on Congress to give Cesar Chavez a national holiday. That's a very interesting idea, and I'd like to tell you why. Back in the 1970s, Cesar Chavez was a Mexican-American left-wing union organizer for farm workers. He became a historical icon for liberals and Latinos, symbolizing militant support for workers based on grassroots organizing and his slogan, Yes, We Can. He is honored by the liberals for improving the wages and working conditions of farm laborers. There's one interesting fact about Cesar Chavez that the liberals do not talk about. He was committed to stopping illegal immigration because he recognized that is so hurtful to U.S. workers. He organized marches through California and to the Mexican border to protest the entry of illegal aliens. Cesar Chavez demanded that the federal government close the border. He set up a line along the U.S.-Mexican border to prevent Mexicans from entering the United States illegally and taking the jobs of Mexican farm workers who came here legally. He reported illegal immigrants to immigration officials, and he put his brother in charge of border patrols, much like some so-called Minutemen have done in recent years. He even favored deporting illegal aliens. Yes, Cesar Chavez was an activist liberal, but he had the welfare of honest farm workers at heart. I think we should honor him for speaking out against the way illegal aliens are taking the jobs of millions of Americans today. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re-listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. It's too much fun. It's too much fun. But this next story is not too much fun. I need to tell you about this. Have you heard? Have you heard this incredible policy of our border run by the Biden administration? It's working out just great. Just great. We've got unaccompanied minors being run into the country by organized crime, the cartels. And it's going to work out great. It's going to work out great, including just, I don't know, what, 20 hours ago, it was uh, revealed, my favorite website, the epictimes.com has a story that dozens, dozens of the unaccompanied minors who crossed the United States-Mexico border illegally were taken to a shelter at the San Diego Convention Center and bang, bing, bada, boom, no surprise, COVID-19 spreading COVID-19. Now, the point here is not that kids get covid They'll probably all get better, by the way. But it's that you don't have control of your border. You don't know who's coming in. 
And so this is not at all a surprise. This is a set of policies, and this is a direct result of the policies. The policies are the cartels are in charge of who comes into our country. But we tell them, we don't want any old people. We don't want any adults. We don't want any strong people. We just want unaccompanied minors. Send them in. So here, that's what we have. And so what do we have? I mean, what, what, what's the asp- what aspect of that is? We don't know. We don't know. We, we're not testing them. We don't know for sure. We test them when they get here. And so I, I ask you again, I think this has come up before. <clears throat> Pardon me that no one is saying this out loud, but I'm sure it's true. Isn't it possible? Isn't it likely? But certainly it's possible that our adversaries... China, I don't know, anybody, uh, terrorists could send into our country people that are sick. It's possible, right? I, I don't have any proof of that, but why wouldn't that? You know, we have we have the cartels being paid to bring fentanyl in by the Chinese fentanyl producers, and, and they're being paid. You know, the cartels say, oh, okay, that's good. You bring us the fentanyl, China communist regime will package it up and we'll sell it into America. We'll make lots of money. But that's that's the product that they're moving. And if you don't think that China, the communist regime, knows exactly who's bringing fentanyl, and they do, and they're happy to have 50,000 to 75,000 Americans die a year from fentanyl overdose in America. So those aren't our friends, right? The communist regime is not our friend in that case. We now know that there's at least four in the last two weeks. There's been four people identified as on the terror watch list. I'm not a huge fan of the terror watch list being well-maintained, but it is what it is. It does exist. Four people whose names were on that list, who were on that list, not their names, came into America through the border. So who's paying the cartel's fees to get them in? I Could it be terrorists? I don't know. Again, we don't know for sure, but we now have a record. We had the policy is clear that the organized criminals, the organized crime, the cartels, are in charge of the border. And that within the range of the policy, we tell them, send in the miners. That's our that's our main theme. The Americans say, send in the miners. And I don't mean the miners like, uh, you know, down in the, the uh, 49ers. I mean the miners, you know, it's M- M-I-N-O-R. Send in the unaccompanied miners and they'll, they'll get here. And so now we have COVID in the San Diego Convention Center, an outbreak. We have fentanyl in the streets of every city in America. We have uh, terrorists on the watch list coming through. And that's the ones we know. Those are the people we actually have identified. So think about how insane this policy is and ask yourself, what's going to change? Because this policy is now, what, about six weeks old that it's been clear? It's been covered by every you know, major news. They, they won't let the cameras in to show. Every now and then you'll get a sneak peek. You know, Ted Cruz had a camera going over the shoulder of a, a worker, and you could see those, those kids in like, um, in look like uh, those kind of silver foil blankets. I suppose that they're better to keep them cold or, or I mean, excuse me, keep them warm. But, the, you know, the, we don't have lots of videos, but we know the story. We have a pretty clear view of the story. We have reporting and statistics that show what's happening. And nothing's changed. You know, Kamala Harris last week, it was announced that she would be in charge of the border, according to the Biden administration. But four days later, her spokeswoman, I think it was Simone Sanders, said uh, she's not going to do the border. Literally, she's not going to do the border. She's going to be in charge of talking to the, 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 the institution, excuse me, the um, 
the uh, uh, nation states down in the in the area, Mexico and, and further south, and talk about maybe putting in boys and girls clubs. No kidding, boys and girls clubs in different in different nations that will make it so people want to stay at home. Yeah, right. You get a new boys and girls club in in Honduras. That's going to be what keeps you in Honduras if you want to try to get into America. That that's going to be it. You got a brand new boys and girls club, Kamala Harris uh, boys and girls club of Honduras. It's going to make the Honduran people say, "Yeah, we'll stay here." Come on, this is insane. But back to my point, she backed off of that. She doesn't want anything to do with it. And Kamala Harris, she knows it's a losing proposition to try to solve this problem because it's not a problem that wants for a solution. The solution is clear. It's not just build the wall. That's an easy way to say it. But secure the border. Tell the tell the Mexican uh, government, which is run by the cartels, tell them to secure their own border. Force them to do it. You're not going to do it by putting in a boys and girls club. You're not going to get the cartel to give up making millions, tens of millions of dollars a week by saying, well, just put in a boys and girls club and then stop. They're not going to do that. In fact, they may take the Boys and Girls Club money and put up a Boys and Girls Club, but they'll just use it for their own, you know, use it for their community, but they're not going to change their behavior. So the question is, is anyone going to do anything? And the answer is no, that this is by design. This is a crisis by design. And what will continue to be um, clear, become clearer and clearer, is that they will amp up the crisis, ramp it up, and then try to solve it in the ways they can. But mostly they don't want to. And I think we're in for a long, long summer. I mentioned earlier in the program, it's the same thing with what you're hearing on the George Floyd case, that they are preparing, they're preparing for the race riots. They're promoting the race riots, CNN and other stations, because that's what they want, because then they want to cover it. I told you, start a fire and cover a fire. Agitate so people return. That's what you're seeing, whether it's on the border or the George Floyd case or pick the next topic. That's what's going on. All right, we got to go. We got to go. Thank you for listening. As always, thank you to Noah, our great technical director. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. Go over to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for all the great, uh, uh, sign up to see all the great links over there and this, uh, the, um, these segments that we do, these interviews we do. And also sign up for the daily email, the wink. You can sign up right there. It's uh, ProAmericaReport.com. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.